Welcome to Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by 10x Genomics, which builds solutions for interrogating biological systems at a resolution and scale that matches the complexity of biology. Their rapidly expanding suite of products, which includes instruments, consumables, and software, enables fundamental discoveries across multiple research areas, including cancer, immunology, and neuroscience. The liver performs approximately 500 separate functions in the human body. With liver disease on the rise, scientists are developing treatments to save this irreplaceable organ. In this episode, Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Prakash Ramachandran, a clinical scientist at the Center for Inflammation Research at the University of Edinburgh, about mechanisms of scarring that lead to chronic liver disease and what he hopes to learn from biobanked patient liver samples. The liver does hundreds of jobs that are vital for sustaining life, such as producing bile for fat digestion, storing energy in the form of glycogen, detoxifying the blood, and making substances that repair damaged tissues. The body has no way to compensate when the liver fails. Luckily, the liver is the only human internal organ capable of a form of regeneration. This feature was even appreciated in the Greek myth of Prometheus, who, as a form of punishment, had his liver eaten by an eagle. Every night, his liver would regenerate, just to repeat the process the next day in an ongoing cycle. In reality, while the liver can bounce back from some amount of damage, long-term injury leads to chronic and irreversible liver disease. Globally, it's estimated over 800 million people have a form of chronic liver disease. The commonest is viral hepatitis, so a chronic viral infection in the liver. However, the dynamics of that are changing. What we're seeing more and more from a clinical perspective is uh, what we call non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or obesity-induced liver disease. And that tends to go hand in hand with patients who are obese but also have metabolic syndrome, diabetes, high blood pressure. With the epidemic of obesity, we're seeing you know, that increasing exponentially. And certainly over the next 10, 20 years, I can only see that going up and becoming the commonest cause of liver disease globally. Patients with any type of liver disease, whether it be obesity-induced, whether it be alcohol-induced, whether it be viruses, the chronic damage to the liver results in scarring or fibrosis of the liver. The amount of fibrosis in the patient's liver is the best predictor of patients that are going to get complications as a result of their liver not functioning. Over time, inflammation in the liver caused by immune cell activation upon injury leads to scar formation, a normal part of the wound repair process. Both normal and scar tissue are made up of collagen proteins. However, the collagen in scar tissue is highly cross-linked and rigid. The liver's regenerative capabilities Repair scar tissue from acute injuries, but chronic injury leads to permanent damage as the scarring blocks blood flow through the organ, slows the liver's ability to detoxify and process nutrients, and reduces the production of important compounds. What really fascinated me was what is going on in these patients that is stopping that repair mechanism from happening. From a clinical perspective, it's also really an interesting condition because it's multi-organ condition. People with advanced liver disease, you can get cardiovascular effects, renal or kidney effects, 
There are new therapies for treating the fibrosis. Currently, our management from a clinical perspective is really twofold. One, we can try and treat the underlying cause. In patients with a viral hepatitis, you know, we can try and treat the virus. Or in patients with autoimmune hepatitis, we can treat the autoimmune condition. There's good evidence that if you can treat the underlying cause, at least in a proportion of patients, the scarring or the fibrosis can actually improve over time. By no means in everybody can we easily treat the underlying cause. Then we can't really do anything about the fibrosis. And what we end up doing from a clinical perspective is reduce the risk of them developing complications by screening for the potential clinical complications that they can get as a result. But there's not really anything we can currently do to treat that fibrotic response. So that's where understanding the biology of this process is really important if we're trying to develop new therapies. To identify potential new therapies for liver fibrosis, Ramachandran first wanted to characterize the different cell types in the human liver and understand how they behave in a disease context. Over the years, researchers have studied this in cell culture and animal models. To get the human perspective, Ramachandran performed single-cell RNA sequencing on fresh tissue samples from diseased livers taken from transplant patients with cirrhosis, the advanced stage of liver fibrosis, and parts of healthy livers obtained from patients who had liver surgery for other reasons. With these two sets of samples, his team compared what happened on the cellular level in healthy versus fibrotic liver tissue. My personal interest over the last number of years has been on looking at macrophages. So these are innate immune cells in every organ. There's a lot of literature in preclinical models and in in vitro contexts which show that macrophages are very important in regulating this scarring process. But up until our more recent work, there wasn't a lot of information about how macrophages were behaving in the diseased human liver. So what we were able to do was to identify a population of macrophages from the single cell analysis that were really significantly increased in fibrotic human livers. And we were able to show that these cells were important in promoting this scarring process. What that allows us to do, hopefully, as we go forward, is to try and identify ways that we can inhibit or selectively block the function of those particular macrophages and try and inhibit their effects on fibrosis. Through single-cell RNA sequencing, Ramachandran found that these scar-promoting macrophages expressed higher levels of genes such as TREM2 and CD9. Expression of these genes now serve as markers to identify this specific immune cell population. By targeting these markers, flow cytometry experiments confirmed the expansion of these macrophages in fibrotic livers. Finally, tissue staining added a form of spatial data to their analysis. Using markers that we identify from the single cell, you can, on a marker-by-marker basis, show that those cells are all closely associated. What was really striking in the liver data was actually all of these pathogenic cells were associated in a very distinct spatial distribution within these areas of scarring. And you don't really find any of those pathological cells in the healthy areas of liver tissue. So That is quite interesting from a therapy development point of view, because we can then start to understand which molecules or pathways are specifically active or enriched within 
the fibrotic or scarred areas, you can hopefully start to target pathways that you know to be active in those diseased areas without disrupting the more homeostatic functions that you might get elsewhere in the liver. It's really that type of spatial information that will allow us to selectively inhibit molecules or pathways that are in the diseased areas of tissue. Ramachandran completed his initial experiments in two phases. First, the single-cell analysis in dissociated tissue, followed by staining experiments to obtain spatial information. New techniques now allow researchers to integrate transcriptomics with spatial data in the same assay. While researchers have had success with spatial transcriptomics methods on fresh frozen tissue, a trove of data remains locked away in formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded tissue, or FFPE, samples. This is a traditional way of saving tissue after a biopsy or surgery. The formalin preserves the tissue, while embedding the sample in a paraffin wax block makes it easy to cut into thin slices for slide mounting. Because that's the most common way of keeping tissue, it means that there are large biobanks of formalin-fixed paraffin-embedded tissue around the world in all different disease contexts. There's a huge wealth of different tissue specimens already stored and already available. Traditionally, one of the challenges in using that type of tissue is that the process of fixation makes it very difficult to do things like gene expression analysis from a technical perspective. So loss of data quality and data depth when you do that, that's been quite a challenge to link the formal and fixed paraffin embedded tissue to the larger omics studies where we can have an unbiased look at different genes or different cells and how they might change. Researchers can now map the whole transcriptome within FFPE tissue samples using the Visium Spatial Gene Expression Solution for FFPE. After paraffin removal, staining, and imaging, formalin-induced protein crosslinks are released, and specialized probe sets with enhanced sensitivity for low-quality RNA, typical of FFPE samples, hybridize with their targets. Ultimately, the probes bind barcoded oligonucleotides that provide spatial information for the cellular RNA prior to library formation and next-generation sequencing. This technology provides 1 to 10 cell resolution across the sample, localizing gene expression signatures to precise spots in the tissue. With this system, Ramachandran hopes to unlock legacy data trapped in biobanked FFPE samples to identify cells involved in liver fibrosis via their transcription profiles while localizing them in biopsy samples. Where it's potentially very helpful is in the analysis of patients with earlier stage disease. A lot of the analyses that we've done, both single cell and spatial, have been on patients who are having a liver transplant. So by definition, are patients who have very advanced end stage disease. When we start to think about treatments, it would obviously be beneficial and probably more effective to treat patients earlier on in that spectrum of liver disease. So what we really want to start to do is really analyze in depth samples from patients during earlier stage liver disease. And what the FFP solution allows us to do is to 
go to our biorepositories where we have stored liver biopsy specimens, uh, different types of liver disease, different stages of fibrosis, and then start to hone in on which of the pathways and cell types that we're seeing in advanced disease are actually present and active during this earlier stage disease. One of the other very useful applications of this is linking the FFP spatial sequencing to clinical outcomes. We know that liver disease and most other human diseases are pretty heterogeneous. And if we take two patients with liver disease where we do a liver biopsy and they both seem to have a similar amount of fibrosis, one may go on to develop advanced liver disease over the next few years and the other person may stay at the same level of liver disease for the next decade and nothing will happen to them. It's what is different about the group of patients that are going to get progressive disease or develop complications from those who are actually going to have stable disease is really important. You know, if we can start to analyze the archival samples and then link that to clinical outcomes, that would allow us to figure out what is different about these liver biopsies from this group of patients who go on to get progressive fibrosis or go on to get cancer in their liver from the ones that don't have any clinical consequences over a long period of time. And the nature of these diseases is often it can take decades even for actually patients to develop these complications. So to do that type of study in a prospective manner is very challenging. The ability to do that on retrospective samples really accelerate the discovery of new treatment targets or potentially new biomarkers. What we really want to do is figure out which molecules are expressed by these pathogenic cell types during the evolution of liver disease and then start to develop approaches to either block or inhibit those specific pathways as antifibrotic therapies for patients with chronic liver disease. The other aspect is biomarker discovery. Can we use some of this information to improve the stratification of these patients? Can we use that data to tell us which patients are at higher risk of disease progression? And that will then allow us to focus our attentions more on the patients that are at much higher risk of developing complications in terms of both further research, but also in terms of therapy development and therapeutic interventions. Thank you for listening to the Scientist Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for the Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spodge. Thanks again to our sponsor, 10X Genomics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow the Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.